Good morning. Well, I love those songs this morning. I love this opportunity to come and praise the Lord in um, in song and in music. And, and we are looking forward to his word that we have to share this morning. But I have another place that we're going to share in that I'm so excited about. And uh, Adam Placencia is going to come and share testimony. And I was listening to the words of the song we just sang. And I thought, what sweet place, Lord, may you hear this testimony as a sweet, sweet sound into your ears. So uh, Adam's going to come and share with you before our message this morning. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Okay, so I have uh, dealt with a lot of anxiety for much of my life, and I used to take medicine for it, and I no longer have to now, uh, thanks to God. And But uh, so I've been delivered from it, but still lately, like in these past couple weeks, sometimes I feel anxiety trying to creep back in and kind of gets me upset. And uh, I think it was Wednesday night, you know, it had been a pretty good day. I'd accomplished some things, but then, you know, just that evening, I was just home by myself, and I've kind of felt that anxiety just kind of starting to uh, creep back in. And uh, God just kind of brought to mind this cartoon I watched of all things. And, uh, you know, it's funny, like, I actually really, you know, like cartoons, but, and I think it's, uh, you know, really cool that God would use something I like like this to actually uh, communicate something powerful. So, sorry, I just kind of, um, I was trying to get my train of thought, I just, uh, Kind of lost my train of thought for a moment. I'm sorry. I uh, okay. So yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah. This. So uh, there's this cartoon that I watched called "Wander Over Yonder," and to just give a little context of what the show is about, it just kind of takes place out in space. It's about these alien creatures, and yeah, the main character Wander, and he's just this. You know, really happy guy that loves to help people. And he has his sidekick, his loyal steed, Sylvia, who's this horse-like creature. But she, you know, she talks and acts like a person. And, you know, she's more tough and aggressive. Like, she encounters an enemy. Her first instinct is to fight it. But Wander, on the other hand, he usually tries to find, you know, a nonviolent solution to things. So that's just a little, you know, basic premise. So there's this particular, the particular episode that, God made me think about was called the troll, and uh, and it is supposed to be symbolic because it's symbolic for internet trolls, like you know people online that say negative things to get attention, and so there's a saying: don't feed the troll, don't give them what they want by giving them attention. So you know that's what the so that's kind of like, the episode's supposed to be symbolic for that, but I like that God has, you know, brought a much more powerful spiritual picture to mind, you know, from it. So, okay, so in this episode, there's like this, uh, 
you know, Wander and Sylvia, and Sylvia, they're like out with these uh, ram people, you know, they like the animal ram, kind of like these Vikings, but I think they're friendlier, but uh, they're kind of like on this castle or fortress. I kind of want to call it a fortress. And uh, so they're kind of having this like feast or bake banquet, and they just hear this loud knock, and you know, the leader, Prince Kashmir, uh, he says, our greatest enemy has returned, and he's come for our greatest resource, which is their food. So the food's all on a tablecloth. They just kind of hoist it up into a bag. They just kind of hang it from the ceiling to keep it safe. And then they all go to see, you know, intruder at the gate, which is this troll, but he's just this little tiny creature. He doesn't look threatening. And, and you know, Prince Casimir says, you be gone, troll. You are not welcome here. Then the troll just starts making fun of him. Then Prince Casimir responds indignantly, you know, just like, how dare you, and gets defensive. And then the troll just suddenly gets bigger and more powerful and is able to smash right through the gate. And then, you know, his men proceed to fight this troll. And this troll just keeps insulting them, and they keep arguing back at the troll. And every time they do, this troll just gets bigger and more powerful. And... Uh, and then Wander, he sees what's going on, and he just goes and relaxes by the fireplace while everybody else is fighting the troll. And, you know, his friend Sylvia, you know, comes up to Wander, gets frustrated, like, why aren't you helping? And he says, I am helping. And she just gets frustrated and leaves, and she, you know, fights the troll with the others, but their efforts are all in vain. The troll just keeps getting bigger and more powerful, and this is like a pretty impressive fortress. Oh, sorry really tall, like multiple layers of the fence, but the troll just keeps fighting through and climbing to the top, and he eventually makes it all the way to the top and goes inside and sees the food hanging there and tries to reach it, but isn't quite tall enough to reach it. And then he just uh, sees Wander over there by the fireplace, so he just goes up to him and starts insulting him, and Wander just doesn't respond. He just doesn't give him any attention, and the troll gets a little smaller. And so the ram people come in, and they see him get a little smaller, and they're like, oh, good, he's smaller. We can fight him now. But the troll, he sees him coming, and is like, ah, is this what I needed? And so he just continues to insult them and get bigger. And uh, Prince Casimir, see, oh, yeah, so his friend Sylvia, like, finally figured it out, too. And so sees this chilling by the fireplace with Wander. And Prince Casimir sees them there, and he's just, like, what are you doing? You know, why aren't you helping us? And, you know, begs him to help and says, we can't afford to feed this troll. And so Wanderer says, then stop feeding him. And he still, doesn't he still doesn't understand right away. And Sylvia says, dude, just ignore him. You getting all upset just makes him stronger. And so he finally realizes, don't feed the troll. So he gives his men this motivational speech, which he concludes with, so why should we care what this sad, pathetic creature thinks of us? And this troll still just makes a last-ditch effort to try to bring him down. But, you know, but the prince and all his men, they just cross their arms and they turn their head away and just ignore him. And, you know, he just starts, the troll just starts getting smaller and smaller, still trying to insult him the entire way until he seemingly shrinks away into nothing. And uh, so the next scene, you know, they're all, you know, going on with their feast, their banquet, and having a good time. But it turns out this troll isn't actually completely gone. 
he's still there on the table, but he's just really tiny, like a bug. And he's just jumping up and down, just desperately trying to get their attention, and nobody's giving it to him. And he desperately says, pay attention to me. And Wander, he sees him there, and he just puts a cup over him. And that's how the episode ends. And so what the God revealed to me is that the devil is just like this troll. This, and uh, this troll, he wants to invade our fortress, and he wants to wreak havoc, and he wants to steal our joy and our peace. But he doesn't even have the power to get through the gate unless we give it to him. And so, so for a long time, you know, this, the devil, this troll, has just been tormenting me because I've been giving him that power. And he just, uh, so I've been giving him that power and he's just been wreaking havoc and the thing is, you know, all I had to do was just not engage. But the thing is, for a while, you know, I was struggling because I was actually undecided about following God. And that kind of gave the, the devil used that against me. Um, so let's see. And uh, this isn't the... Oh, okay, yeah, I remember one thing I was going to say. Uh, so I th was thinking there was something about, you know, that part in the cartoon of them just chilling by the fireplace, not caring, while the others are like, what are you doing? That reminded me of something. And, you know, when I thought about it, it reminds me of that part, that story in the Bible when, you know, the apostles are on the boat, and, you know, there's a storm, they're freaking out, and they see Jesus just sleeping and they're like, we're about to die. And you're just sleeping. Do you not care? And so Jesus, he just gets up and he just says, peace, be still. And just like, why did you doubt? And uh, so I guess that's, you know, why this troll seemed to have power on me. Because I had doubted. And, uh, you know, it's not, this isn't the first time even I think God's used one of the silly things I like, like cartoons, to communicate something to me. Like, they even use Star Wars because, like, you know, just years ago, I was still struggling with anxiety or something. And I think I just talked to my parents, and my parents said I can, something like that I can overcome. And I kind of just thought, had this thought, like, yeah, I don't know about that. I had this image of Yoda saying, that is why you fail. And so a little context for that scene, uh, you know, Luke's ship has just sunk into the swamp, and Yoda's been training him to use the force to lift rocks and stuff, and, you know, Yoda just tells him to use the force to lift it back up, and Luke's like, I can't. It's impossible. And he just kind of walks away, and then Yoda, he just lifts the whole ship out and, you know, lands it, and then Luke says, I don't believe it. And Yoda says, that is why you fell. And I think that's a good metaphor for, you know, with, the power of God, we can move mountains. But if we don't really believe it, we're setting ourselves up for failure. And there's even another episode of this, you know, the same cartoon series, Wander Over Yonder, of all things. Like, uh, and so there's this one episode where Wander's, where they're trying to deliver this box. Wander gets curious what's inside the box and is obsessing over it the whole episode. And there's this one line that just kind of sticks out to me, like, 
you know, towards the end, like, to get there, and he's not there, and, you know, he's just like, oh, forget it. I'm going to open the box, and Sylvia says, I believe you can overcome this, but that doesn't matter if you don't believe it yourself. And, you know, and we can overcome through God, but if we don't really believe it, then, you know, what, what does it really matter? So, uh, and, you know, there's been times when uh, the devil just has me in a place of self-condemnation. There's a couple songs that have come to mind that helped me to get out of it. There's one, uh, You Say, by Lauren Daigle, and uh, Voice of Truth by Casting Crowns. And what I like about those songs is that they call out the devil in his lies. Because the devil tries to tell you, you're, just, you're not good enough. You're not enough. You know, the you know, he reminds you, you know, all the time you tried before and failed and says, you'll never win. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. And, you know, if God, he loves us and has these plans, great plans for us, he sent us son to die for us, why should we care what that sad, pathetic creature thinks of us, the devil? And so, you know, the devil, he'll still kind of, Come and he'll just jump up and down trying to get my attention saying, pay attention to me. But now I can just see him there and just put a cup over him. Amen. So I thank God for this, for that I now have power that this troll, this troll, the devil, he no longer has power over me because I know I have God and I can just see him there and be like, you have no power over me. So, all right. Amen. All right. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Adam. What a great, great way to start our morning, huh? Yes. I love when Adam shared this with me the other day because it just reminds me so well of who God is and that God's desire is to talk to us and to help us and to guide us and to strengthen us and to tell us things. And uh, so it is so amazing that God does want to do that, but I love how he does that. It's different with each one of us. He wants to talk to you different than he talks to me, but he wants to talk to you. If you're his child, he wants to talk to you, and he wants to guide you. So I'm excited about our message this morning. We've been studying in the book of John, so we're going to be looking at John 3.16 today. So if you'll turn with me in your church Bibles, it's going to be on page 1223. Page 1223, John 3.16. Joe taught on John chapter 3, a big part of that last week and did an amazing job and, and really helped us to begin to look at being born again. And as you're turning to John 3.16, I want to just take a small glimpse back into the things that Joe was helping us to understand in this place of Nicodemus. And this place of understanding who Nicodemus is, and he's a great ruler, and he is um, 
one of the leaders of the Jewish people and one of the people who helps to decide what God's law actually looks like and how the people should adhere to it. And so because of this, Nicodemus, as Joe helped us remember last week, really feels very confident of who he is in the Lord. You see, in his eyes, he is good. And so all of these things that Jesus is coming and sharing with him come as quite a surprise because of his understanding of who he is is overconfident in his own merits and his own abilities. So that is kind of the backdrop for what we're going to read about today. But Jesus comes on and he talks to Nicodemus and he tells him, he says, you know, you've got to be born again. And I love this place as God brought this about in Adam's life today because what Adam would tell you is that God became more powerful in his life. He began to talk to him more fully. He began to guide him more more fully in his life into the things that God has for him once he was born again. By the water and by the Spirit. And so we're going to continue as we look at this, but I want to start in kind of the middle of the message and then look and then work backwards. So we're looking at John 3:16. This is probably the most quoted Bible verse of all times. You find it on coffee mugs. You find it on plaques. People who are not Christians know this verse. Christians who know this verse consider this verse to be the fullness of the Bible. In fact, if you look up this verse, many places you will find that it says John 3.16 is the gospel. And I want you to hear today, I don't believe that is truth. John 3.16 is one verse of what God is helping us to understand. And so we have to look at this in a little bit different frame than what I think we have from time to time. So let's just re read this verse. John 3:16 it says for God so loved the world that his gave that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life The first thing that jumps out at me is because it's how I learned about this verse is the very simple word so so I want you to think about this, that when you say this verse and when you quote this verse, is it not true that most of the time this verse is quoted as, for God so loved the world? Right? So here's the way I see this. If that is true, then this should be written as I text, which would be, I am so... S-O-O-O-O-O-O 
excited you're coming over to see me today. That is how we look at this verse. God is so excited and in love with us that something else happened. He gave his son. But that's not exactly what the Greek says. And so we've taken this verse and we've twisted the understanding to tickle our ears. So actually, if I wanted to understand this verse as the Greek wants us to understand it, I would actually see this word so at the beginning. Because this word so actually means not how much. You see, if I'm so excited about you coming over, that's how much I'm excited. And that's how we see this for God's love. But that's not this word. This word is not about how much. This word means in like manner. In like manner. It means in keeping with. It means thus. Then this next word, for, that word actually means indeed. It means because. It means since. So what John is saying here actually in the Greek is that in this manner, indeed, God loved the world. In this manner, because of what has happened, God loved the world. It changes it just a little bit, doesn't it? So really, now to understand this verse, you have to what? You have to go back. You can't put this verse on a coffee mug and not know what he's talking about. Because what the writer, what John is saying here, is that God did this because and he's going to explain what the because was and in what manner God was doing this. The New Living Translation, which is not my favorite translation at all, probably translates this verse better than any that I saw. It says, for this is how God loved the world. And then it says, He gave His only one, I'm sorry, He gave His one and only 
so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But for this reason, for this understanding, God did this. But we don't even know what that is. When we misplace the so. So let's go back and begin to read. And I want to start in verse 1 and read. And then we'll look at exactly what he's talking about. Because we have to understand that what Jesus is saying here, what John is writing, is all together. It doesn't have two different sections. It doesn't just all of a sudden start on John 3.16. What Jesus is saying is, is his continuing to talk to Nicodemus. So starting in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, and, and I love this, he didn't have anything to do with what Nicodemus said. He, he was like, okay, well, Nicodemus, you're really trying to entrap me a little bit here. Because what Nicodemus is saying, he says, you know, you're a teacher come from God. So he's recognizing that. Because it, Jesus is portraying that place in Nicodemus's mind. And then he says, you know, and here's why we know this. Because no one can do these signs unless God is with him. And so Nicodemus is kind of throwing this out there like, mm-hmm, okay. So then Jesus doesn't even really respond to what Nicodemus's question is. Joe talked about this last week. But Jesus answers and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So he tells him what Nicodemus needs, even though that's not Nicodemus's concern. And the reason it's not is because Joe helped us see last week is that Nicodemus is confident that God knows, who, knows him and knows who he is because he is a Pharisee. He is the seed of Abraham. Check, he's in. So he's not concerned about how to get into the kingdom. He is sure and confident that he's there. But Jesus is saying, you've got to be born again. Verse 4 says, Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answers and says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. You remember Joe said, we can't see where the wind blows, but we see the effect of it. Sometimes up here the papers will begin to blow because the wind is blowing the papers. What I loved about seeing Adam's testimony, it was a picture of this place. 
the wind, the Spirit of God is moving through Adam, was talking to him, was guiding him. And he allowed that place to come to me and to bring its effects into me. And then God said, let Adam speak to the church. And he threw out the wind and he said, you can have what I'm saying today. That's what Jesus is saying. And if your life doesn't reflect that, you have to wonder if you have the Spirit. Because it will have an effect. He goes on in verse 9 and he says, I'm sorry, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel? And you do not know these things? He's chastising him a little bit, isn't he? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we've seen, and you do not receive our witness. Now, I want to talk about this verse a little bit. There's a lot of different thoughts about this verse, and I would say we probably don't know 100% of exactly what Jesus was saying here. Some say... That uh, And in your Bibles, it's even capitalized, the we and the our, indicating that it's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that are speaking. I, I think that's a strong possibility. I do. But it's probably not exactly what I think is, is happening here. So I also tend to believe that he's actually talking about himself and Nicodemus. You see, Nicodemus feels he is a strong teacher of the word. So Jesus says, you know, you being a teacher, and you've acknowledged in verse 2 that I'm a teacher, we, I think Jesus is talking to him. So listen to this in that regard. He says, most assuredly I say to you, we, you would speak, what you know, I would speak what I know. We would speak what we know. And we would testify of what we know. But you don't receive our witness. I think he's helping to open his eyes by saying, so when you go and testify to somebody, you speak of what you know. You speak of the things that you know, and then they have a choice to receive or not receive it. I think he's bringing Nicodemus into an understanding and thinking about this. I realize it could be the other way. I'm not against the other way. So, But I do think he's trying to open all the way through this understanding Nicodemus to a understanding of who he really is so moving on verse 12 says if I if I have told you I'm sorry if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things you see he's still talking to him in these this vein you know we would say things in a manner of what we know that's what we would talk about. 
But if I tell you earthly things and you don't even believe me, how are you going to believe me if I tell you heavenly things? Verse 13 says, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. A lot of times people say Jesus never really declared himself to be God, which we've already seen that that's not true in John. But this is another place that God, that Jesus is establishing himself with God. He says, you know, clearly no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. He said, listen, there's no man that's gone up to heaven and come back down to heaven to bring this truth, except for the Son of Man. And then he says, who is in heaven? So that kind of works on your head, doesn't it? He's standing here talking to Nicodemus, and yet he's saying what? Then he's in heaven. How does he do that? How does he be here and here? He who was and is and is to come. He is omnipresent. He is here. And yet, according to this verse, he is there. He's God. Three in one. Verse 14, he begins to help us to understand what John 3.16 is about. He said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's read this 14, 15, and 16 again. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so most must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's saying, I'm going to have to be just like the serpent. And we're going to look at those verses. That, and, and for what reason? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So for this reason, God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Turn with me to Numbers 21. Let me give you a page number on that. Well, maybe I didn't write that down. <laughs> Um, well, let me turn to it and I'll give you a page number. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's going to be in, in uh, Numbers 4. I, I mean, not Numbers 4, Numbers 21. 21 4, yes. Yes. So page is 178. Page 178.
page 178, Numbers 21, and we're going to start in verse 4. course this is talking about the children of Israel and it says then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom and the soul of the people became very discouraged on their way that word discouraged means grumbling unhappy out of alignment is what I want you to really hold on to here not in agreement with God. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our souls loathe this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people and many of the And many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten... When he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. So it was, if the serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. What a strange understanding. But I was so reminded of what Paul says. Everything that was written in the Old Testament was given as an example for us, as a place to help us to see something. And so we see that is so true in this message. And even John is writing down what Jesus is referring back to this place to help us to understand what's going on in John 3.16. So let's look at what is happening here so that we know that the so, what it represents. So, what I see is right off is the people. Do you see this in verse 5? Yes, they were, verse 4, were discouraged. But verse 5 explains it a little better. They spoke against God. They were against God and against God's way through Moses. They were against God's, God himself and his plan and the way God was doing things. How arrogant we would say they are. But you see, what I want you to know is that the reason they were this way is they were very comfortable at who they were. You see, God had been doing for them. God had been leading them. God had been looking after them. God had been taking care of them. So they got to feeling a little comfortable in who they were. Is that possible for the church today, that we have become comfortable 
And we're not so concerned with aligning with God's ways and his truth and who he is as we are at going our way and God being okay with our thoughts and our disgrumbling and our againstness of who he is. Because after all, we're the church. We're Christians. So it comes along here, and then it says that the Lord sent fiery serpents. Now that really messes with our theology, quite frankly. We don't like to put down that God would cause something unhappy in our lives. That God surely wouldn't allow a disaster or something difficult to happen in our life. Surely, the God of love, right? The God of three, God of John three sixteen would not send fiery serpents. Yet this is so because of. So it's important that we see here that God did send something to awaken them because they were comfortable in where they were and had chosen to be out of agreement with who God is. Out of alignment. It says, so he sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people. And the people began to die. So what if I was just writing a little bit about this, what this was, story was about, I would say the people were in sin. And God sent a disastrous thing to happen. And he got their attention. Do you think that would be? True? And he got their attention. But God made a way for even those that were in sin not to continue in their sin, but to repent. It says they cried out. It says, you know, they cried out. The people came to Moses and they said, we've sinned. That's what's going on here. Is that the people saw, because God got their attention, that they were in sin. And they came and they said, we've sinned for we've spoken against the Lord and against you against how you're doing things, God. You know, pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents. So Moses prayed for the people. And then God sent away. He says, Moses, you build a, you, you, you make a serpent and you put it on a pole. 
a bronze serpent. Bronze stands for judgment. Bronze is made by fire, and it stands for judgment in the Bible. And he says, you put that thing up on a pole. Because it represents, the serpent represents sin. Sin, the people of sin. The serpent represents sin. The bronze represents judgment. the people could look upon the judgment and all the sin and be healed spiritually, physically. So it's a picture of Jesus. We think, how can Jesus be portrayed as a serpent because he took on all the sin of the world and he took on all the judgment turn with me back to John 316 on page 1223 John 316 and starting in verse 14 again and it says and Moses lifted up the serpent the bronze serpent that symbolized sin and the judgment of sin in the wilderness then he says, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That whoever believes in him, just as it was with the serpent, you see, it's saying this about the serpent, that whoever believes in him, they would look up on the serpent, that whoever would believe in God's way, in his plan, in his purpose, they would look up upon it and they would not die. They would be healed. They would be saved. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. They wouldn't die. So for this reason, God sent his son. Not because he so loves you or me in the way that we've taken it. 
but because of God's purpose. And I want to show you this in just a second. But I want you to think about this because we have gotten this idea from John 3.16 that God's love for his people is kind of like a young man who is Twitterpated about a young girl. And that he is so in love with this young girl that everything she does affects him. Right? Isn't that how young love is? That, oh my goodness, he's so infatuated with this young girl that whatever she says, he just longs to hear. And whatever she does, he longs to see. That's not God's love. And when we get in this ooshy-gooshy love world, and that's why, you know, you know me, I don't like some of the songs that come out that are all about this God so loves me. And I just want to throw up on it. Because that's not the God of the Bible. God is the one that sent the serpents. That was his love. That was his love. That doesn't fit in with this, ooh, oh, how he loves me, and oh, how he loves me. Yeah, he loves you, all right, enough to send the serpent. That you would see your sin. That you would fall on your face, and you would say, Lord, I've sinned. And you would find yourself in the place of agreement with who he is and his purpose for your life. Let's read on in verse 17 because God begins to help us, Jesus begins to help us to understand this. He says, let's read 16 and 17 together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, and by the way, we've talked about this before, that doesn't mean that his own created son, the Jehovah Witness talk about this being God's created his son and therefore he wasn't God and he isn't God because he was created. That is not what it's saying. This word begotten is unique. It's his unique son. There's no one like Jesus. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now listen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Now I want you to know that word condemn is not really the right Greek word there. And it gives us a little false understanding. The word here is better understood as judge. But not even as judge as you might think about it exactly. But it's judging as uh, discerning, as separating good from evil. So this word is about God sent his son... It says, for God did not send his son in the world to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't send it into the world to judge the world. That wasn't God's purpose. Now, come on. In verse 18, he who believes in him is not judged 
But he who does not believe is judged already. Okay, so that helps us to understand 17. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. The world's already been judged. It's already in sin. It's already an enemy of God. So he didn't send his son here to judge the world. No. He didn't make the serpent on the pole to judge the people. They were already in sin. Do you see that? It's the so as, the same as what was going on over here. In like manner, this is what's happening in God's son. He didn't come to judge the world. It's already in sin. It's already people are going to die. You're already in death. You've been bitten by the serpent of sin. And death is your forecast. God didn't send Jesus to judge the world at this point in time. He sent him to save him. And he who believes in him is not judged. But he who does not believe is judged already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only unique Son of God. He didn't believe in the plan. He didn't like the plan, so he didn't believe. Okay. And this is the condemnation, the separation. This word, this is the judgment. This is the separation of good and evil. That the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So he's helping us to understand this. He said in verse 19, and this is the separation that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light. So I want you to turn back with me and remember back when we taught on this a few weeks ago. Turn to page 1 in your Bible to Genesis 1 because God so helps us define what's going on in his word.
Genesis 1.1. We're just going to be reminded of what he taught us a few weeks ago. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Darkness. Misery, destruction, death, sorrow, wickedness, sin. It's on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. Then said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light and it was good. And God separated and divided the light from the darkness. You see, Jesus is referring back to how it was in the beginning. Why? Because it's God's purpose. It's God's purpose. And he saw the light, and it was good. What is that word? Tov. It was functioning in God's purpose. And God divided the light from the darkness. I want you to turn over a page to page two, and God goes through all the, the creation story and even to the place that he creates male and female. And then he comes to verse 31, and it says, Then God saw everything that he made, and it was very tov. It was very good. He had done everything. He had made everything, including mankind. And now he says, it is very tov. It was for my purpose. It is functioning in what I want it to be. Now you turn back with me to John 3.16, page 1223. And I want you to hear what John 3.16 is about. You see, Nicodemus comfortable in his earthly merits of being good. And Jesus is saying, no, you've got to be born of the Spirit. You've got to be born of the water and the Spirit. You've got to be born again because you are already in death. You are already judged because you're in sin. You're right where the people were that needed the serpent to be lifted up, the sin to be judged. For Jesus took all the sin and the judgment. Do you see what he did? So that when you come in alignment and agreement with his purpose, you will have eternal life. But the whole thing is, it's about his purpose. 
It's not about you and him feeling all lovey-dovey about you. He is in love with his creation because it is functioning in his purpose. That's when it's good. Yes, he loves us. But he is not moved by our every movement and feeling and no no he's not agape this agape love I love what Daniel says about it because all my life I or all these last few years I understood agape love was unconditional love that says exactly what I'm saying it's not that God just loves who you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter how you are, no matter. No, you're out of his purpose. You're separated. That's why he's saying in verse 19, he says, this is the condemnation. This is the separation. That light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. They don't want to come into agreement. But agape love is not that God just loves you no matter what. That is not the, that is not the love of the Bible. The love of God is not this place, but rather it is a place that does not depend on my condition of what I'm doing. God's love for me doesn't depend on what I've done for him. It depends on what he did for me and my willingness to align in his purpose. My willingness to agree with his plan and his way. Because without their... Without that, it is sudden death, assured death, not sudden, assured death. I want you to turn back one last time to Genesis 1 on page 1. We've talked about this before, but I think we need to see it in the fullness of what Jesus is saying here. So if we skip down a little bit to verse 7, chapter 1, verse 7, no, verse 6. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth and gathering together the waters he calls seas and God saw it was 
Tov, it was good. Out of the water, God called the land. And, and you see right there, it says in um, verse 9, Then let the waters under the heaven be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. God called the land out of the waters. It was buried in the waters. But he called it out, and he called it to be earth, and he created a new creation. He called the land out of the waters to be a new creation. And then it goes on to say in verse 11, Let the earth bring forth, fly, uh, forth grass and herbs that yield seed, and the fruit trees that yield fruit according to its kind, and those seeds is, is in itself on the earth. And it was so, and the earth brought forth grass, the herbs that yield seed according to its own kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw it was good. You see, he called out of the water the land. He called it out, and then he said, and that's good. But then he saw that the land did its purpose, and it was good because it is in alignment with him for his purpose. John 3.16 is saying, Nicodemus, you've got to be called out of the water for a new creation has to be born. And in that place, in that place, you will produce and do and be who I've called you to be. And you will be tov. You will be good. Not because of your own merits. Not because you're a Pharisee. Not because you belong to a church. Not because you teach Sunday school. Not because you preach on Sunday morning. Not because of anything you do. Not because of you given to the poor. Not because, no. You are not tove because of that. You are tove when you are called out of the waters. And you are a new creation for God's purpose because he did that. And it was his way. And anything outside of that is against God and brings John 3.16 is God so loves all his creation. He has a purpose for it. We are a part of that. God loves his creation for his purpose. That whosoever will look to Jesus will see that he took the sin that I was in because I 
was just like the people that God had done so much for in the wilderness. But I had gone my own way. I was in destruction. I was doing my own thing. I was in my own sin. I was in darkness. But God saw me in that need before I was born. He saw each of us. He saw creation in that place. Just as he saw the people of Israel in their darkness, in their sin. And he said, they will come to repentance. I will make a way. And I will create a way for them to be saved. And they will look up. As I was seeing this place, I was reminded of the cross. And I thought, yes, Lord, we thank you for the cross. But then that even gets twisted because it's not the cross. It's Jesus. You see, these people couldn't have looked at the pole and it bring anything of healing. But they looked up at the serpent. That's exactly what it says. And they look on the bronze serpent and they will be healed. So the cross was a vehicle that God used to fulfill his plan. But Jesus, Jesus brings eternal life and salvation. Oh, how he does love us. And oh, how he's loved us from the beginning. So much that he gave his only begotten son a part of himself. That whoever would get in alignment with him and look to Jesus and take his eyes off of everything of this world, and everything of me he will be saved stand with me
the blood. 